Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. According to an HR Policy Association survey in the spring of 2021, covering nearly 400 HR leaders representing 11 million employees, it found that 85% said that their organizations expanded inclusion activities and increased C-suite involvement in DEI since George Floyd's murder. 70% have started or expanded unconscious bias training, while more than half moved to disaggregate workforce data to provide a better picture of employee demographics. The survey also found that DEI was the main concern for HR leaders, ranking ahead of strategizing for a post-COVID culture. In this HR chat, we're going to take a pulse of the state of HR and leadership and look at what has actually changed within organizations since the murder of George Floyd. My awesome guest this time is Erica Broadwater, National President of the National Association of African Americans in Human Resources and EATA Manager, COE at Essity. Erica has over two decades of experience in HR uh, and talent acquisition. She's been a recruiting manager and a DEI champion. She is experienced in global talent workforce, talent mobility, retention, data analytics, recruiting operations, and performance management, among other things. Erica, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you, Bill. So I'm grateful to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me to your to your podcast. Let's get straight into it then. This is a, a pretty a pretty serious topic that we are chatting about today. Yeah. So uh, I'd like you, if you don't mind, to start by painting a bit of a picture of what society and, and what the workplace looked like before and after the murder of George Floyd. I mean, with, with every new injustice, such as the April 2021 killing of, of Dante Wright, yeah. how, how, how can we as a society to continue to fight for equity? Yeah, so this, you know, this goes back decades, um, right? It's it's not hidden in my community. This goes back decades. And what the workforce looked like prior to um, the, the murder of George Floyd is one that has been um, not spoken of, if you ask me, enough. Um, you know, there has always been um, a racial disparity, um, in the workforce. And what I mean by that, um, and, and I wouldn't say just, you know, racial, but I would also say you know, very a large amount of discriminatory um, uh, hidden uh, agendas, so to speak. Uh, so you have your your wage gap with, with women. Um, but when I scale it down, there's, there's uh, a gap with uh, minority women to, um, you know, our white colleagues. So when I do a breakdown of our um, Asian Americans, our, our Native Americans, our Latina um, and Hispanic Americans, and then our African Americans, where that gap is uh, to our white American uh, women specifically. And then you have the age discrimination, um, you know, people of a particular age, whether above age or below age, there's always that. And then you have, um, of course, the racial discrimination. And I say all that because it's always been there, right? And and it, you know, we we can look all the way back even to Rodney King. And I, I always talk about, you know, um, the 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 abuse of Rodney King. But before there was a Rodney King, there was a Martin Luther King. And you have to go back to affirmative action and um, equal rights for um, equal employment rights. 
So it's always been there, but it took the viewing of George Floyd for people to actually wake up and see the systemic racism, um, you know, in this country and how it now transcends um, in the workplace. We've always felt the stigmatism of racism. We've always felt um, the disparity and the injustice of it, but now it people are becoming awake and aware of how that is infiltrated in the workplace. So that's why this uh, conversation bill is so vitally important. We're not gonna make change overnight. We're not gonna make, you know, uh, a change just because of of a Derek Chauvin um, um, trial, but at least we're moving in the right direction, and we need to get companies caught up to what we in in, in the Black community have been talking about for so long. So we need companies to to really catch up to to uh, where there have been these disparities and racial um, injustices. And we need to keep talking about it, and we need to keep pressing it home, and and that's that's why. I believe that this interview today is so important. So let's talk a bit about you and, and how you've led, how you've been a leader and, and the style that you've adopted over your career. While removing unconscious bias from hiring, promotion and professional development processes, it, it's really important to, to battling racism and other forms of discrimination in the workplace. It's just one part of building an equity culture, right? Mm-hmm. Part of diversity rather than dismantling structural racism which I, I think should be the ultimate goal uh, how, how has this goal shaped the leadership style that you've adopted over your career within my career i have obtained nine certifications uh three of which are in the um umbrella within the umbrella of diversity um, equity and inclusion and so every time i look at new approaches um in my leadership style in my approach in my strategies i take what i've learned and i look at trends and i look at um you know what's making a difference and where we're falling short and use that to my approaches so when i'm consulting with business leaders when i'm talking to a company um um, uh, leaders, and I'm talking about strategy, and I'm, I'm talking to them about what does the culture and the dynamic feel like within the walls of your company. That's really the place that I'm coming from. You know, it's it's uh, what do you look like uh, behind closed doors, and are you really truly living the statements that you put out there, the policies? Um, have they been updated? And do you have a fair and equitable workforce? Um, do they feel that they're being treated equally or are there still those silos? Uh, so the approaches that I um, take is really taking the data and, and making a statement behind the data um, and then painting the picture so that employers, again, business leaders and decision makers are really taking a look at their strategies, their, their workforce culture, their, um, you know, are they giving opportunity for learning and development from top down and bottom up uh, equally? And are they addressing some of the uh, issues that employees may feel very uncomfortable talking about in the workplace. Um, you know, I, I, I um, had a call with a very big national company, I won't say their name, uh, earlier this week in protecting them. And uh, their HR director was very transparent that um, he felt his his employee population um, didn't feel comfortable having these kind of conversations. And he was glad that we were coming in to consult with them um, and 
make it a safe space to talk about some of the stigmatisms. Um, and it's a very well-known um, national company that, you know, even if I said the name, you would probably be shocked that they're having problems, um, you know, talking about these issues uh, in, in the workplace. But it's not uncommon um, from my point of view. And like you said, Bill, we need to keep having these conversations uh, so that we are driving uh, progressively driving change in the right direction. So I, I go back and forth between between the UK and, and North America. Okay, and uh, as, as we're as we're recording this interview, it was just a few days ago uh, mm-hmm. in, in in the UK where there were shameful shameful acts. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I'm not sure if you saw this uh, geared I towards you know, the, the the England players, uh, three three England players uh, yes. in particular, and. Um, and this is why this is why we can we can never ever stop talking about it and and never ever stop fighting against mm-hmm. idiots idiots yeah. frankly um, who, who 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 otherwise would be be noisier than us so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, never ever stop so uh, follow, following the the conviction of Derek Chauvin for the murder you shared a post on on LinkedIn in mm-hmm. which you wrote success in justice being served mm-hmm. uh, applaud to the jury. For the right verdict. Now the rest of the work begins. We we, we must break barriers to, to building better. Here is where we break the racial barriers to building better communities and leaders. Beyond saying the right things, Erica, what, what measurable, tangible actions can leaders and communities take to continue to move the needle? So this is what I say to everyone, and I've been asked that question quite often. So Bill, thank you for asking that question. Be intentional. No matter what you're going to do, be intentional, have your awareness, be accountable, accept that change has to happen, right? So there's one thing to be aware that change must take place, but you have to also accept it um, and, and, and be accountable. If there's no accountability, then to your point, it's, it's really just a statement and it's a great statement, but there's no action behind it. And that's the final A to the whole puzzle is the action behind it. So you've got to be intentional in anything that you do, even if it's a small step in the right direction, be intentional about that small step, be aware that it needs to be taken accountable, accept it and take action. Um, in anything that you do. So while I say, yes, the work now must begin, no matter how small or large a scale that business leader, company owner, CEO, whoever it is, um, start somewhere. Even if it's reaching out to me or organizations like mine, it's a start. But be intentional about it, be direct about it, and allow for these courageous conversations to happen. It's not comfortable. I'll tell you, it's not comfortable, but it's not comfortable on both ends. It's it's not them versus us. It's we have to come together as a body of people, as a community, as business leaders. Um, and if you think about the horrific event that happened um, in the UK, and I did hear about it, and I was rather upset about it. My son, um, I, I know you call it football, we call it soccer here. My son is, is, is a huge um, fan of the game, um, you know, so it, it breaks my heart to see even in something like a sports activity that can go so south. It happens, we saw it in tennis uh, with some minority players. We've seen it happen in football. We've seen it happen in basketball. The people who are acting out like that are showing their true colors in a societal event 
game, sports, whatever it might be, but they're also the people that are working next to you behind those closed corporate doors. So I say this bill with no offense to anyone, um, but I do say it very transparently. When you think about who's sitting next to you in the workplace, are they wearing a mask? Are they wearing a white robe that is, you know, hidden in the workplace, but it's very open out in society? Just think about those folks at a, at a, a soccer game or football game. Those are the same people that we're working with. They might even be our neighbors that live next door to us. That mindset it's not going to go away just because now you're sitting in your office. It's the same person. So are they hiding behind a mask or hiding behind a sheet in the workplace? But it's their true person out in society. So uh, in society, I'm, 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 I've got the sort of personality that um, I have no problem um getting up uh, close and personal with, with someone who I think is is an absolute idiot and saying terrible xenophobic things. And I'll, I'll let them know in public in no mm -hmm. uncertain terms, but you can't do that in an office, can you? You've got to be, no. yeah. you've got to be more, more political about it. So, I mean, yeah. just, just digging into that question a bit more, that, that previous question a bit more, but what, what are some practical applications of, of getting these conversations started are, are we talking about better use of feedback technology you know whether that's pulse technology or other for example are we talking about having town halls are, are we talking about taking it to the boardroom first and making sure that everybody's on the same page uh, at the board level before we take yeah. it to take it back down yeah and I, and I think you know there's no right or wrong way to to begin um any place of of origin you need to start somewhere um, I personally, I like to hear the voice of the employees before I go to the boardroom, because you can go to the boardroom and they have a different perspective than what the voice of the employees have. So if you look at it from the Eagles point of view, right, that that board member, the very high level um, is going to be a very different conversation than I would have with uh, my frontline workers, my my first level managers, it's going to be a very different conversation, whether it's by survey, whether it's by town hall, we need them to feel comfortable um, speaking out and speaking their own truth. Um, I did uh, one interview, um, you know, we have now the Crown Act and early on um, last year when the Crown Act was being discussed, uh, I was interviewed for my perspective there. And I said, you know, if you look at me as an African-American leader, can I even bring my whole self into the workplace? If I came in with my natural hair, would you still see me as the same leader that you saw me with my hair straight or in a traditional fashion? And when I say that, I mean a traditional European, a white cultured fashion. Am I can I bring my whole self, my whole authentic self, no matter what my hair looks like, my hair should not define my ability to lead. And these are some of the um, conversations that I am, I don't shy away from. Um, you know, I, I don't steer away from them, but that's not everybody's story. Everybody has their own story. From my point of view, I like to listen to the stories and not form an opinion because again, everyone has their own walk in life. I also talked about in another interview, um, there are some African-American diversity leaders that 
don't take kindly to a white diversity leader. You, you haven't walked in my shoes. You don't know my story. You haven't lived discrimination. You, you're, you're privileged. Um, so do they bring value to diversity and inclusion? And these are some of the things that, again, we just don't talk about enough. Um, they are uncomfortable conversations, but I think before going to the board and saying, you know, from the top down, this is what we need to do. I think we need to listen uh, to those that are being impacted and affected the most in our in our uh, workforce. OK, thank you very much. I actually I want to tease a bit more from you uh, okay. around this topic, if you don't mind. And um, before I ask my questions here, I, I'm, I'm going to um, quote Kerry-Ann Suarez, uh, Executive Director of Equity in the Center of Washington, D.C. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this was in an article that I was reading as part of my homework ahead of, ahead of this interview today <laughs> um, from, from uh, hrexecutive.com, which is a fabulous publication, listeners. It Please do check it, it out, is. check it out. Um, so... Uh, what she said was organizations started using words like structural racism and racial injustice or social injustice words that they were not using before that shift in language is notable and it resulted in a significant amount of unrest within companies because they were using language that people on their board might not be comfortable with okay um so my questions for you are but why is there a general feeling that employees get it and I think we've really covered that actually not all of them get it um, um, because some of them are those horrible soccer fans um, but 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 those at the sea level and on boards are perhaps still grappling more with change and is that feeling justifi justified and if so why and I've spoken by the way a bit more context on this I've spoken to a lot of leaders recently who are saying all the right things but when when we're not recording, they say other things, which makes me think that they're not making the changes that they, they should. And I don't know if it is. And here is one of my own biases. Maybe it's to do with um, their age and how they were brought up, for example. I don't know. Um, but there, I am getting a, a sense from the community that there's a there's a disjoint between um certain employees and again again I'm, I'm using my own biases but made maybe more millennials and gen zers versus uh the establishment if you like who are, who are at the top level certainly um and and is their fear justified by using specific language um i think they in their minds it is justified i think you know every time there is a new way of presenting, um, we're just going to call it discrimination. You can tack on any, you know, fancy word or term that you want. Bottom line, it is discrimination um, and, and racism. Uh, so anytime that you have to call it what it is, it's very uncomfortable. Um, so now I'm going to put my, if you don't mind, Bill, I'm going to put my religious hat on. You know, there is no black or white sin citizen what's wrong is wrong um so are are at the c-suite do they feel uncomfortable and do they feel justified in being uncomfortable when they're hearing things like structural racism or racial injustice or social injustice you know again in their minds they it is justified that they are uncomfortable with that terminology they rather be a little more fluffy and comfortable for them to to be able to swallow but wrong is wrong and, and I'm not going to um, be apologetic about that. Wrong is wrong. Um, I should be judged based on my character. 
um, and not the color of my skin based on my integrity and not based on, you know, my, um, where I came from. Um, I'm a native New Yorker, but you know, should I be judged on, on the, the, you know, what a, a New Yorker is supposed to look like, act like, or what, what have you. Um, so, you know, there's, there's just so much to be said about that, but at the end of the day, we went from, uh, affirmative action to equal employment to uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Every time there is a new label for discrimination and racism, at the end of the day, people are going to be uncomfortable with the new terminology. I think the next generation that is now in the workplace and coming into the workplace, as you mentioned, the Gen, um, you know, the, whether it's Gen Z or if it's the millennials, um, they are the next generation. They see it from a whole different perspective because they don't have the background and history as the older generation has with things like Jim Crow law and, um, you know, even lynching up into uh, the, the 60s and 70s and early 80s. So they don't have that background knowledge of how racism, again, in society is affecting the workplace, but it is. And it's, it's, it has to be uh, polarized. It has to be visibly seen. And this next generation is putting the spotlight on it. Um, and they're not, they're not taking it any, and, and we're not taking it anymore. Enough is enough. What's wrong is wrong and we got to change it. So from the C-suite and the older generation or whoever uh, is still wearing the blinders, I think we need to, you know, kind of help them gingerly remove those blinders you know, take a, a couple steps back, take a deep breath, absorb what's happening. And as I said before, those four A's, be aware of it, accept it, acknowledge it, be accountable and take action. I want to change tack, but we're still under the same umbrella theme here. But I want to talk a bit about technology with you for a minute. Oh boy. <laughs> um, um, and, and that terrifying monster that is uh, artificial intelligence. Um, I always refer to the Terminator. Whenever I get into conversations about AI, um, that's just where my mind goes. I'm just a cynic, maybe, I don't know. But <laughs> in your opinion, is, is AI finally at a stage where it is helping to find the best candidates based on skills and based on values? You know, there's a lot of talk at the moment about skills-based hiring, of course. Or are, are we still a way off from that? Can, can you share any examples of AI-powered technologies that, that are making a positive impact? Bill, I am so glad you asked that question. We literally talked about that this morning on our Center of Excellence call. We really believe that artificial intelligence is going to remove some of the disparity of discriminating candidates based on anything. So for instance, the, uh, the, the person's name tells you perhaps their origin, um, you know, where, where they've come from. Many times, if you cannot pronounce a name, you make an assumption about the person. Uh, it removes the um, uh, discrimination of uh, a person's um, um, age, uh, so to speak. Um, you know, is, is the person too young or too old uh, in their career? So I really believe that artificial intelligence in terms of skill assessment is the right way to go. It removes, you know, and, and it, it, it breaks the barriers of um, that, that discriminatory perception of, am I finding the right candidate based on their skills and competencies versus 
on any um, uh, biases, uh, whether hidden biases or known biases. So I think it is a right move. Are we there yet? I think the more companies um, implement artificial intelligence for skills assessment, I think the better off we'll be um, because it will remove those, those barriers, but I don't think we're quite there yet. There's a lot of technology out there um, and it's really, what's what's going to be the best one to use there's there's so many that are out there right now that we're going to see more and more um innovative technology to help with skill assessment uh by the way of artificial intelligence it's also going to help the recruiting teams uh be able to get through candidates a lot faster because we're not having to you know flip pages of resumes and and really get to the heart of their skills and competencies by eliminating those who are not qualified. Uh, and again, it won't be based on anything but uh, you know, um, their, their profile and, and what they bring to, to the job itself, uh, regardless of race, uh, gender, uh, background, age, those will be non-factors. I actually interviewed uh, someone yesterday who's a big expert in uh, AI, specifically its use uh, within the recruitment process. And um, that, that, that conversation, it left me with maybe more questions than answers. My, my biggest question, my, my biggest question is these algorithms, they get really complicated, don't they, Erica? Yes. And how, how can we really understand if there isn't, you know, it's still inherent biases within those algorithms? Because unless you're a super duper clever coder, um, you, you, you're just you're not going to have have an idea, and even then, it could take you a long, long time to to get through all that sort of stuff. So, translating that uh, to to the HR department, say, uh, mm -hmm. uh, is is difficult because I mean, you you spoke about faith earlier. You're, you're kind of taking this on faith a little bit. Yeah. But anyway, th that's that's a discussion for another time. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> Um, unless it's science or medical, I, I, I have to say data is, uh, you know, interpreted. So it's, is it always clean? Is it always, um, you know, you have to trust the integrity of data. Again, unless it's science or, or medicine, you have to be able to trust the data. Now, is it always accurate? No. Um, and is it very complex? Absolutely. Um, so you can only do as much as the data uh puts out to you. Um, you can only assess as much as the data is going to give to you. Um, and that's why I said, I don't think we're quite there yet. I think there's still a lot to be learned and a lot of algorithms that may need to be qualified and quantified, um, but we're getting there. And it's going to, it's going to probably, I, I, I would say it'll probably take about 10 years um, to really see the success of artificial intelligence in the realm of uh, talent recruiting. Okay, well, I don't want to wait ten years to get you back on the show, certainly. But, <laughs> no, <you> but <laughs> I would also send you an invite for twenty thirty one for for part two of this, that particular conversation. Um, hey, are, yeah. <laughs> before we do wrap, how can how can our listeners learn more about the National Association of African Americans and Human Resources? How can they learn more about ESITI? And I believe most importantly, how can they learn more and connect with you? 
Yes, absolutely. So I am on LinkedIn. You can look at, look for me on LinkedIn, um, Erica Broadwater on LinkedIn. Um, you can also follow us on LinkedIn. Um, join our group. We have close to 20,000 um, in our um, group network on LinkedIn. Uh, and you can also go to our website, um, NAAAHR.org. Um, and then you can also send me a personal email, Erica.Broadwater at NAAAHR.org. Um, I'm always happy to, you know, receive new uh, invites on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I like expanding my network. I like people asking me questions, even if they're tough questions. Um, so certainly send me an email or connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and you can, you know, look at us online at NAAAHR.org. Um, happy to connect with you. Wonderful. And, and that's how I did it. I, I reached out to you, uh, on LinkedIn. <laughs> I, I had something mildly interesting to say to you, I guess, and, and you were very receptive and within a week or two, we, we got here. So yes, um, I appreciate that. Um, Erica, I'm definitely going to get you back on the show again, but just for now, it just leaves me to say thank you so much for joining oh, me on this episode. Completely my pleasure, Bill. Thank you for inviting me. And I was happy to have this conversation. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.